All right, well, good morning, uh, RCBC. It is a pleasure to preach with you this morning, to you this morning. I'm thankful for the opportunity. And I will say, every single time I preach, I am more grateful for our lead pastor, Matt, and for bringing the word week in and week out. So thank you, Matt, for doing that and for shouldering that week in and week out. So if you're, if you're visiting, you probably know by now, mostly because I couldn't figure out this mic in front and someone had to do it for me, that I am not the regular preacher here. Uh, that is, that is Matt who, who prayed recently. So we're taking a break. Normally we go through a, a passage of scripture every week. We've been going through the Gospel of Mark and we're taking a little break here, uh, for a one-off sermon on Romans 12, 1 and 2. So I've been asked to, to preach and so I chose this passage because it is one of my favorites because it's one that, that God really used in my life. Uh, and, and that I saw sort of the truths of this passage play out in my own life. See, when I was, when I was a 19-year-old, I, uh, after my freshman year in college, I went uh, and lived with a group of college students. And uh, in that summer, my roommate challenged me. He said, hey, if, I noticed you never read your Bible. I, never, you don't, I, I noticed you don't really pray. But if you pray the night before that the Holy Spirit will help you wake up in the morning, then I will physically help you wake up. You know, you might say he made me an offer I just couldn't refuse. And so that summer I read through most of the Bible. And, and simultaneously as I was reading the Bible and I was listening to God's word, that summer I saw the truth of God in this passage. As my life was transformed, as my, as my heart and my mind were saturated with God's word. So our passage this morning is Romans 12, 1 and 2. Let me go ahead and read it again. We just heard it, but I want to read it again. It's short enough. So Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Well, my goal this morning is exactly what Paul's goal is in this passage. I want to urge you, to convince you, to motivate you to live differently because you live in light of the gospel. I want to specifically urge you to motivate you towards three actions. And those three actions are going to form the outline of this sermon. One, remember the gospel. Two, live is worship. And three, Eat renewing food. So first, remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. Well, in the first half of 12.1, Paul says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. So that word therefore gives us a clue as to where this comes. This passage is right at the hinge of Romans. In chapters 1 through 11 in Romans, Paul has been making an, a theological argument. He's building a case as to what Christianity is. He's saying why Jesus matters. That's basically what he's doing. And then in chapter 11 or chapter 12, there's a hinge. He transitions from primarily preaching doctrine to now practical application. He's moving from the deep truths of the gospel now to how it applies to our lives. He spent 11 chapters basically saying, let me explain the mysteries of God. And now he's going to say, here's what it should mean to you. So some of us here are wired to love doctrine and theology, right? And some of us are wired to kind of just love practical application. Just tell me what's in it for me. 
But here we see in the wisdom of God that all of us need both. See, doctrine without practice is cold, and practice without doctrine, however sincere it might be and well-intentioned, can lead us away from God. So we need both. And so in the wisdom of God, Paul gives us both. Do you want the fuel to live the Christian life? Do you want to know what the fuel is to live the Christian life? Well, it's to put doctrine in your tank. That's what you need. That's the fuel. He's also saying, though, if you've got fuel in your tank, right, especially at today's gas prices, if you've got fuel in your tank, then you need to be living the Christian life. You can't have one and not the other. You need to have both doctrine and practice. So what does Paul have in mind by the mercies of God? What does he have in mind? That's kind of what this passage says. In view and light of God's mercy, he has the gospel in mind. So again, throughout this entire letter of Romans, Paul is laying out a case for the gospel. He's carefully explaining it. And so I want to take a moment and carefully explain the gospel to you. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to use something called the Romans Road. The Romans Road is if, if you're ever wondering, how do I go through one book of the Bible and understand everything about the gospel? This is a way to do it. It's by going through something called the Romans Road. It's a helpful way to try to take one book and try to understand what God is saying to us about what he means about the gospel. I'm going to give you guys chapter verses. I do this. I would encourage you use this as something that you do in your quiet time this week. Think through who God is in the gospel that he reveals by going through Romans. If you've never heard this before, uh, then again, I would encourage you to write this down. So Paul starts in chapter 1 with what many consider to be the summary of this entire book. It's basically shorthand for the, for the mercies of God. It's the good news that brings salvation. And he says this in Romans 1.16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So, so next he says, so that's the gospel summary. He, he says, well, all of us have a problem. See, the problem all of us have as humans is that we all sin. And the consequences of that sin, the wages of them is death. It's physical death. And it's also eternal death, spiritual separation from God. See, none of us can make it to God on our own. This is what we see in 3.23 and 6.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that's the bad news. That's the problem we all have. But now we start to see the hope of the gospel. See, God did not leave us in our sin. He did not leave us destined for death. He gave his life for us. He didn't wait till we proved ourselves lovable. Jesus died for our sins while we were still sinners. Jesus himself was the sacrifice for our sins. 5, 6, and 8, 3, 24, and 25 help us see this. Rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. And all of us are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. So we see here in Romans that there is a way to be right with God. And there's a response that's required of us. But, but here's, the, here's the amazing mercies of God. That response 
does not require us to follow hundreds of rules and laws. That's not what we do. It's by believing, by declaring that Jesus is Lord. And this leads to peace with God. What better news is there than to have peace with God? Our sin no longer leads to death because of Jesus. We see this in 10, 9, and 13, and 5, 1, and 8, 1. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, these are the truths that Paul wants us to remember. This is why he says, therefore, he's making sure that we have this gospel view in mind. Before he wants us to consider what it looks like to live as a Christian, he wants to make sure we're basing the foundation on Jesus' death and resurrection on our behalf. Not merely for us to have a better life or for us to have new uh, benefits because we now live for Jesus. He wants to make it clear that the mercies of God are most fundamentally about the cross of Christ and Jesus crucified. And not only is it what we need to keep in mind in life, but it's certainly what we need to consider in death. So Nikki and I had a chance to visit Pam this Thursday, you Carl. And as she was clinging to her last breath, she was also clinging to the hope of the gospel. She was looking forward to the day when no longer would her body be failing, but she was looking for a day when her faith would be made sight. Romans 8, 10, and 11. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Pam was remembering the Gospel. She was living in view of God's mercies. And even as she suffered, she was hoping that there was a new body because God would one day make all things new. Not only was she remembering that, but friends, we need to remember that. So, do you ever forget God's mercies in your life? You know, does, does, the, does the gospel fire emotions in you and focus your energies? Or does following Jesus sometimes feel like drudgery? right? Waking up early on a Sunday to come to church, being around God's people, is that ever drudgery? Well, I admit that happens to me, right? Sometimes my circumstances start to overwhelm me. Could be that the world starts to entice me. Could be that my own sin really starts to cripple me. And when I do, I lose sight of the gospel. Not only is it not in the main view, but it's barely even in the rear view mirror of my life. So, so here's something I do. Here's something I do, and I, I encourage you just in this as one tool maybe, if, if you're in a place where the gospel and God's mercies don't feel big to you, here's a simple thing I do. I try to take an hour or two, I go to Starbucks or Blanchard's or some other place where I can get away, and I take a journal, right? I read scripture. I meditate on the great truths and the reality of God's mercy, and I confess my sin to God. I confess how my circumstances my sin and the world are feeling more and more important to me 
And then I remind myself that God's mercies, not just His past mercies, but His future mercies, are should be more important to me. Right? I, I try to change the view that I have from, from my life and circumstances being in my, in my sight to God's mercies being in my sight. And as I do that, my sin and my circumstances get smaller and smaller in my mind, and God and His grace gets bigger and bigger. In these times, God is helping me do exactly what this passage suggests. I'm putting God's mercy in view. So if you're in a place where God is small and faint, go to the Lord. Confess this to Him. Repent that you don't see God as the great King. Remind yourselves of the mercies of God and pray that God will reorder your motivations. And as a church, let's commit to keeping the gospel central in all that we do. Let's anchor our motivations to the truths of the gospel and let's make sure we persevere in preaching in season and out. Let's celebrate these truths as we hold them deep within, as we sing, as we pray, as we read, as we preach. Even as our culture moves farther and farther away from us, let's not be ashamed of the gospel. And if you're here today as somebody who doesn't consider yourself a Christian, consider yourself a Christian, I just walked through Romans and I summarized why Christians make such a big deal about Jesus and what they mean when they say the gospel. So some of these verses might not be familiar to you. Some of these concepts might not be familiar to you. If, if you want to understand more of what Christians talk about by the gospel, what these passages mean, then see me after this service, see Matt, he'll be standing at the back door, see one of us and just say, can I meet up with somebody else and just walk through the Bible and try to understand a little bit better what it means? We would love to set up a time and go through each of those passages and just talk through in detail what Christians mean when they talk about the gospel, when they talk about the fact that we're separated from God and that our sin puts us, puts us at odds with Him. You know, we believe the power of God that brings salvation is the gospel, and that's true to everyone who believes. And you know, that could be true for you as well. So legend has it that a church member once asked Martin Luther, why do you preach the gospel to us week after week? And he replied, because week after week you forget it. You know, we are prone to wander. We are prone to leave the God we love. We are prone to forget. And this passage is calling us to remember the gospel. So Paul wants us to remember the gospel. But he also wants us to, and my second point is, live as worship. Paul wants us to live as worship. We see this in 12, the second half of, of 12, 1. He says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. So, you know, when I, when I hear that word sacrifice, I have to admit, I just have spent the last four months coaching baseball. So the only thing I can think about, of course, is baseball when it relates to any of these words. And of course, in baseball, there's this idea of a sacrifice bunt, right? Where you give yourself up so that a base runner can move along and hopefully your team can win, right? So we sort of think about sacrifices giving up. Uh, and, and here, of course... Uh, in our passage, Paul uses this Old Testament sacrificial language. In the Old Testament, a person would bring an animal and offer that as a sacrifice to God. You know, they'd bring their pigeon or their lamb uh, or their goat, and they'd give it over to the priest in order to be offered as a sacrifice to God. But, but what's important to note is that in order for the sacrifice to be acceptable to God, it had to be an outward symbol of the one offering it. 
right? A, a sacrifice was never just about the goat or the lamb or the pigeon. It was about the heart of the person who was bringing it, right? It was an outward symbol of what they were inwardly believing. If, if it was merely duty, if it was more about the one who was making the sacrifice, not about the one to whom the sacrifice was being made, uh, then it wouldn't be acceptable. And we see, of course, an, the, an example of this in Genesis 4. We see, now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked at favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So God accepted Abel's offering, but he rejected Cain's offering. Well, what was the difference? What was the difference in these? Well, it's not that God loves Kobe beef and he really doesn't like kale. That wasn't the difference between these two. It's that one was duty in order to get something and one was given because God was great. It was about one, one was offered from a heart of love and gratitude and as an act of worship. You know, worship is when we give to God because he is worthy. It's not so much in the what we do, it's in the how we do it. It's our heart posture. What Paul is saying here then is that when we offer our bodies, another way of saying all that we are in every moment to God, when we do this, it's an act of worship. Another way to think about this, sacrifice to the Christian is a response of worship to who God is and what he has done. It's giving worship to God. So when we are living sacrifices in this way, Paul says it results in true and proper worship. True and proper worship is when we sacrifice, live lives of sacrifice like this. Now, now when we hear this word worship, you know, I think, to me, I think a lot of Christians, uh, it kind of makes me, me think of that line from The Princess Bride. You know, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means, right? Worship is one of those words that, that I think we kind of think of as singing in church, right? That's, that's what worship is. Um, uh, and, and I would say singing is certainly worship. So I'm certainly not saying it's, it's not that. Uh, but to others, it's more of an emotional response to God. I'm not really worshiping God unless I'm very emotional about who God is. Uh, and, and so therefore, it means we should always be excited about the things of God. You know, the, the Bible offers a more holistic view of what worship is. The Bible tells us that we are worshipers by our very nature as human beings, that we will find something to bow before, something to give our lives and our devotion to. We will worship something. We will center our lives around something or someone. You know, of course, worship is a very good thing as long as the object of our worship is worthy of it. So what's the object of our worship? Well, only God himself. As Jesus said, Luke 4, 8, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Our worship should be reserved for God. He alone should command our highest devotion. And it should be around him that we center and organize our lives. Worship for the Christian then is not merely singing. Worship is making much of God. It's pointing to him with your life. It's glorifying him. It's caring more about his name and his fame than even your own. The Westminster Catechism says it probably the most plain way. What is the chief end of man? 
Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Just a different way of saying our chief end is to worship God. Friends, we are living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, when we live as worship, when our lives show that we live to glorify Him. And of course, Jesus did this perfectly. He was a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. If we want to know more of what a life of worship looks like, we look to Jesus. So so what does this mean for us as a church, as RCBC, to live as worship? What's, What's an application for us as a church? Well, I think we're not alone in misunderstanding what proper worship is. We're not alone in that. That's kind of the point Paul was making here. So Paul in Romans was writing uh, to Jew and Gentile Christians. Uh, and so they had all kinds of assumptions about what true and proper worship was. It's, it's why Paul was writing this. He was trying to reshape their paradigm of what worship looked like. He, he was literally trying to help the Jewish Christians go from sacrificing dead animals in a temple to, to being living people sacrificing in the church and in the world. That is a huge paradigm shift that Paul was trying to get across to them. And, and what does is, what is he use? Well, in the church, Paul uses the rest of chapter 12 to flesh out what this paradigm shift should look like, right? You used to take dead animals. Now this is what you do to have proper worship in the church. And you know what it looks like or what it looks an awful lot like? Well, it looks a lot like a church covenant. If you read through the rest of chapter 12, you hear things like be devoted to one another in love in 10. Honor one another above yourselves. Use your gifts to serve one another. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Right? As we do these one another's that Paul talks about, we do them as one body and different gifts so they don't all look alike. You know, I think a church plant gives us an amazing opportunity to live out this uh, living lives of worship in the church, right? Just like the Jews and Gentiles that Paul was writing to, that church, they came with different backgrounds, different cultural expe- expectations, different family and personal preferences. Just like them, we all come with different backgrounds, assumptions, and expectations. And just like them, we need to press on living a life in unity, uh, fighting the temptation to put our preferences ahead of others, and instead, worshiping God as we gather together and as we live together. Right? We want to fight the temptation to put our preferences ahead of others, and we want to worship God in all that we do. But I think there's also application, not just for how we live as a church gathered, but also how we live as a church in the world, how we live as a church scattered. Paul writes uh, in in Colossians some instructions that I think help us in this area. In 3, 23 and 24, he writes, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord. Uh, as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Right? Everything you do, he says, everything you do, work at it as unto the Lord. Another way of saying this, everything you do, live as worship as unto the Lord. Right? That is pretty incredible that every single part of our lives, from our marriages, to our singleness, to our parenting, to our jobs, to how we use our free time, the types of conversations we have, how we respond to adversity, All of these are opportunities to worship God. All of them provide an opportunity to do them in such a way that we are making more of God 
than we do of ourselves. You know, one, one example of this, one simple example. When you're tempted maybe to respond in anger at your child or spouse in an argument, living as worship means you don't because your words are something you offer up to God, right? Those words that you're speaking are words to God himself. So approach meetings in the workplace, meals with your kids, encounters with your neighbors, and difficult circumstances like this. We are prone to live for ourselves, and this passage is calling us to live as worship. Of course, living as worship is not easy, right? You might be thinking, I can't even get through a day in which my agenda doesn't start to crowd out God's agenda. How on earth do I live my whole life, not just one day, as a living sacrifice? Well, I think Paul basically was anticipating this because the second verse that we're going to look at is sort of a playbook of how we do this, right? He sets out what we should be doing in view of God's mercy, offer our bodies a living sacrifice. And then here in verse two, he gives us a playbook. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's my third point. Eat transforming food. Eat transforming food. One of the primary ways God has designed us to grow is actually more normal than we, than we often think. Thankfully, growing as a Christian involves a simple plan, right? It's a matter of putting on and putting off, putting off and putting on. Spiritually speaking, we need to stop eating food that's bad for us, and we need to start eating food that's good for us. So if, uh, if you're like a regular dieter, and I'm, I'm not saying I am, um, there's, a, there's a great book called Eat This, Not That, right? It, it highlights a restaurant menu, and it, and it basically shows you one option that's healthy at that restaurant and one option that you should avoid. So for example, at Chick-fil-A, you're pretty safe if you eat the grilled chicken nuggets, but you should probably avoid the chicken club, right? It's got the bacon and the fried, it's delicious. But anyway, so that's kind of an example. Sadly, at Cheesecake Factory, you kind of just need to avoid it all, according to the book. Well, unlike that book, my job is not to give you a new law, right? A new set of do's and don'ts. But similar to that book, I want to help you to be wise and consider what parts of your spiritual and cultural diet are leading you to conform to the patterns of the world and which are leading you to be transformed. So what's the bad food that we're to stop eating, right? What should we put off? We are not, we aren't to be feasting and conforming to the patterns of this world. Well, this idea of patterns of this world, uh, I probably spent more time thinking about this than anything else uh, preparing for this. What are they that, that Paul has in mind? Well, I think a good summary of it is in Romans 1.25. I think what he has in mind is exchanging the truth about God for a lie and worshiping and serving created things rather than the creator, right? The world does not believe in God. The world exchanges the truth of God for lies and, and it worships things of its own creation. Patterns of this world, right, are the thought patterns, the systems and beliefs, and the behaviors that oppose God to make him look like a bad king. It's those things that stir up our desires to rebel against God, and it's those things that undermine our allegiance to God. You know, think about the first pattern of this world that we see in the entire Bible, right? It's when Satan led Eve to sin in the garden. 
he convinced her that God wasn't generous but stingy, that God wasn't trustworthy but was withholding from her. And so she exchanged God's truth for a lie, and she gave her, her allegiance to the created thing rather than to the creator. So what are the patterns of this world today? Well, I'll just say that they're, they're complex and they're numerous, right? If, if Satan is leading a rebellion against God, it makes sense that he would have a variety of strategies to win the hearts and minds of people against God. And while some patterns are subtle and others are overtly submersive, subversive, you can, you can generally spot them. You can generally spot these patterns of the world because they are centered on self and or stuff worship over God worship. So Paul says, do not conform because he knows if we aren't being transformed in one direction, then we'll be conforming in another direction. You know, it's like you go into a movie theater, right? It's dark at first, uh, but then your eyes kind of get accustomed to it. But then we leave and the lights blind you. Well, we don't want to be blinded by the light, right? We want to be careful not to conform. You know, one, one subtle way we might be tempted to conform to the pattern of this world is in our desire to be accepted by others, right? To fit in. Uh, we, we want to, um, you know, we want to be like others. I, I remember growing up, um, my, my parents got me like the, the faux Jordans uh, for basketball shoes. And um, I just remember I was like really upset about that because like my whole, everyone else on the team had, had like real Nikes and I had like the faux Jordans. And, and why did I want the real ones? Because I wanted to fit in, right? I wanted, I wanted to be accepted. I thought that would, that would make me more acceptable if I was wearing what everybody else was wearing. Uh, you know, as I've gotten older, shoes aren't really my thing anymore. Um, but that same temptation to want to be accepted exists. To some degree or another, we all want to go with the flow, right? We all want to talk less and smile more. Now, this is just one example. So, so how can you, know, you discern the patterns of the world in your life? How can you discern where your life is looking a little bit more like the patterns of this world and not being transformed? Again, I'd, I don't think there's any way I can sit here and, and tell a group of people this large all the patterns in this, in, in this life. But we need to exercise wisdom and discernment about our own lives and as we think about this. And, you know, this is one of the main reasons God has given us one another. You know, as, as we meet up together, as we are in one another's lives, as we discuss and talk about particular temptations, uh, you might start to ask people, what are possible patterns in my life, Right? Allow people to ask you questions about how you spend your time, how you spend your money, what, what subtleties there are in your life where you might be just mindlessly going along with the flow, with the patterns of this world. You know, think about what in your life might be discipling you more than God's word. So RCBC, let's together be a band of nonconformists. So we talked about what not to eat. Now let's talk about what to eat. How do we keep God's mercy in view? How do we have a transformed mind? What do we put on? Well, we already know this, right? From verse one, we just spent a whole lot of time on that. We remember the gospel. We remember the gospel. We keep rehearsing in our minds daily, often to each other, to ourselves, everything that Paul has just taught us about Christ and his work from, from chapters one through 11. 
right? This is, this is why it's so important that we, we believe these truths so we can rehearse them to ourselves regularly, right? Practically, how do we do this? Well, again, God in his kindness has not made growing spiritually, he has not made it rocket science, nor has he made it abstract spirituality. God has made it normal, specific, concrete, and effective. If you want to grow as a Christian, if you want to increasingly live a life of worship, the primary way you do it is through God's word, right? You sit under streams of grace. It's what theologians call ordinary means of grace. You have regular times of prayer in reading the Bible. You attend church where you hear God's word. You meet up with people so that you can encourage each other. You talk about these things as a family. You preach to yourself, such as that example of journaling I gave. Now, just to be clear, this does not mean if you do these things, you will 100% of the time grow as fast as you possibly can. But I will say, it does mean that these are normally the way that God grows us to maturity. And not doing them certainly does not help our growth. And I'll also say this, you know, over my years as a Christian, I've come to see that we don't always feel God growing us, right? We, we might not be feeling it, but if we're sitting under streams of God's grace, if we're sitting under the ordinary means of grace, uh, we can look back over time and see just like that parable of the soils that we thought about a few weeks ago, God is faithful to consistently produce fruit in our lives. Let me, let me give you a general suggestion. If you're somebody here who, who's not ever sort of, who doesn't, like, like I was, that story I told of me as a 19-year-old, with some sort of regular habit of being in God's Word, one, one encouragement to you that's been of great help to me is think about re- reading one chapter of Proverbs a day. There are 31 days in most months, of the, uh, uh, most, in most months and there are 31 chapters of Proverbs. So even if you miss a day, guess what? You know exactly what chapter of Proverbs to read. Because you just look at, look at the date, and you know that's the chapter of Proverbs. And eventually, you'll have more and more of God's wisdom in your heart and in your mind. And the more of that that we get in our hearts and minds, the more able we are to fight conforming to the patterns of this world. Let me just give you one example. I talked about the desire to be accepted, right? The desire, the temptation to want to do that. Well, one proverb that specifically helps fight against that, 29-25. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Right? As we read God's word, he transforms your life and he transforms your mind. You know, remember, you're not doing these things, these, these ordinary means of grace. You're not doing them to check a box so that your taskmaster will be happy with you. That is not Christianity. You're doing these things so that you can live a life of worship by increasingly being transformed by God. So let's commit to eating transforming food. Let's eat this and not that. And this brings us to the final payoff in this passage. So we've, so far we've considered to remember the gospel, to live as worship, and to eat transforming food. And this leads us to the incredible promise that is in the last part of verse 2 where it says, if we do these things, we will, then we will, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So the, the way to read test here is not quiz. It's not saying, then you will be able to quiz God, right? It's not like, now you'll have a bunch of facts and you can like do flashcards with God and, and test him and see, see his will. That's not what it means. 
It means more to understand or demonstrate. And, and that word approve there, it's not like, you know, bring me the paint colors and I'll approve one for our walls. That's not what approve means there. It's, it's agree with. So, so the logic here is that as you eat transforming food, you increasingly come to understand and agree that God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect, right? As you do that, you come to see that. Transforming begets trusting because the more God's spirit transforms your life, the more you see God's good purposes. So I love food. Um, in fact, I took pictures of my food before it was cool to do. And I love sharing good food with, with people. Uh, I'm also from Philly, which means I love a good hoagie or a good cheesesteak. Uh, but even more, when I go back to Philly, I love to stop at Reading Terminal Market because they have the most amazing corned beef sandwich you can ever imagine. You know, I, I take a bite of that corned beef sandwich and I, as, I'm, as I'm soaking it in, as I'm just enjoying it, I hand it to my family and say, you gotta try this sandwich. It is unbelievable. This thing is amazing, right? The, 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 the bread is perfect. It's melting exactly right. You gotta try this. So Nikki takes a bite of the sandwich and it's like birds are magically chirping all around her shoulders. Butterflies are on her head. That sandwich is that good. You know, as you can tell, even talking about the sandwich gets me excited, right? Nikki has tested and approved the sandwich. She has tasted and seen that it is good. Well, friends, this is how we should be about chapters 1 through 11 in Romans and how we think about the gospel. Paul is doing exactly this. He's giving us a food photo, right? He is showing us the mercies of God and he is saying, you got to try this, right? You have to have God's mercies in view that we are sinners saved by the death and resurrection of God. And as we do that, we taste and see that God is good. As we live in that, as we sink our teeth into it and we lean into it and live it, we only confirm more and more the truth that God's gospel is good. So friends, do you want to taste and see that the Lord is good? Do you want to know that his will is good, pleasing, and perfect? Well, then I urge you, let's together remember the gospel, live his worship, and eat transforming food. Let me pray. Lord, we do praise you and thank you as we reflect on your mercies, as we, as we aim to live our life in view of your mercies. Lord, we pray that we would better grasp those truths. Lord, we also pray that we would, we would learn to bring them to mind more frequently, Lord, so that in our day-to-day and -day, all things that we're doing, Lord, we can remember the gospel. Lord, we pray also, <clears throat> Lord, that we can live our lives as worship. Lord, help us to understand what it looks like during our nine-to-fives, when we're, when we're at our desk at work, when we're at the kitchen table with our kids. Lord, help us to understand what it looks like Lord, to live lives of worship. And Lord, finally, we just pray that you would give us wisdom so that we can eat food that transforms our lives, Lord, and so that we can guard against conforming to the patterns of this world. Lord, we thank you that because, because of Christ and because we are in Christ, uh, we can do that. 
We, we pray all this then in your son's name. Amen.